Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brendan Storer. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 62. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing great, Brennan. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you very much. How, yes. How was the big trip? It was pretty great. Good. And it all ties together because on this episode, we're going to be talking about the haunting of Los Angeles. No. Yes. Uh, our third annual haunting <gasps> of Los Angeles episode. And I'm going to be talking about my trip, which included... Uh, haunted Airbnb. Of course it did. Yes. I, you know, cause I, I love to spend $150 a night. So I have to sleep with the lights on while <laughs> staring at the doorway. So a regular night for you? Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just with fewer cats to, uh, and less crying. Yeah. Well, well, no, not less. I'm still there. I'm still there. But no, I had a really great time. Um, we had a meet and greet, uh, three different meet and greets actually. On Saturday night, we had a meet and greet at the Hollywood and Western Starbucks. Right. And Pete and Connie came out. Nice. Uh, Arthur and Adam came out. And Maddie came out. Amazing. It was fantastic. That's really cool. We hung out uh, till, I think most everyone was there till about nine. And then they had to head out. And then Arthur and uh, Adam and I sat there talking until about 10.30. Nice. It was really That's cool. awesome. Yeah. And then the next morning, uh, it was Miranda and Marianne. And we went up at the 101 uh, Coffee House in on Franklin. Cool. And just worked out crazy well our listener ella from melbourne australia right. happened to be arriving in la on my last day that's amazing i know it was just perfect yeah. timing so i met her downtown and showed her around downtown showed her around hollywood she put up with my bullshit for better part of something like six hours oh my lord i know it's the australians are a tough people that's <laughs> the outback yeah it's what outback it is. and dingoes are used to fighting for survival that's right that's yeah. awesome though so you could truthfully say you had an intercontinental meetups yes as long as we don't talk numbers and we just oh no no no! don't do that yeah it's not the important part right okay it's the experience yes absolutely i love it so no it was great and i'm I'm looking forward to getting into some of these uh stories the guys found about haunting in la there's actually some unusual stuff in this one nice Uh, i mean there's you know there's a couple things you expect Mm -hmm. but the story we're going to finish on is pretty unique so and it's i don't know if i'd even call it's not a ghost story it's just uh, we'll, we'll get to it we'll get to it cool before we do, though, we have a musical guest on this episode. They are Danny O and the Astrotones. This song is, it came from Planet Astrotone. It's a bonus track from their debut album, Introducing Danny O and the Astrotones. And, and what kind of music is this for everyone? I Well, I found them via the surf tag. It's kind of right. like surf music. Um, Barry, California. Well, that's, that is why. Wow, I did, you uh, are on fire. I'm telling you. It's amazing. I did a whole surf episode on my radio show, Larger the Truth, my, right. the, my music show. And there was a bunch of groups there. I, I didn't realize there was this much surf music I out there. I did not know it was and a genre. I love the stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So, these guys have been great. At the end of the show, we're going to have some of their tour dates listed. So cool. if you're in England, they're on tour, uh, actually, I think right now and through the rest of the month. Very cool. So you can be able to check them out live. And I, it's it's fun music. I think it would be a great live show. And perfect for the summer. Exactly. Yeah. So you can find more from them at planetastrotone.bandcamp.com or on all the major streaming platforms. And of course, via the link in our show notes. All right. I guess we just get to it. Perfect. We'll take a little break. And when we come back, The Haunting of Los Angeles, Part 3.
welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we are going to be talking about the haunting of Los Angeles, where I have uh, just returned from not mm-hmm. that long ago. Triumphantly, I might it, it, it Absolutely, as I always do. <laughs> well, you return from everywhere triumphant. Yeah, it's because they're so happy to get rid of me, <laughs> is the thing. But uh, And uh, the majority of that trip, uh, such as it was, I'll be talking about on our Cabin Fever mm-hmm. episodes, uh, which we've changed, uh, or the name changed to replace the water cooler. Right. For our $5 patrons, you can find more about that at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. But the part of the trip I'd like to talk about uh, before we get on to the actual stories mm-hmm. was my friggin' haunted Airbnb. You're so funny because you just pick up on this stuff all the time now. Well, I didn't. That's For the longest time after we left um, the uh, 1218 studio, I gradually got less and less sensitive. So I, I noticed things less and less. And also I, I became more adept at avoiding. That's what I do. And yeah. I've done this since I was a little kid. And maybe that's the problem. You came at this kind of later in life. Right. Yeah. Where you believed. For me, it was as a little kid. So I think we're talking about that in relation to that house um, that we were in where I just send out a vibe saying, nope. Don't come near me. Right. Nope. Yeah. Don't want to know. That's it. Don't come near me. And whereas I just kind of stumble into things looking around. <laughs> and That's uh, the trick. Don't look. Yes. Well, so I got to my Airbnb, which was uh, an apartment building in East Hollywood. And I walked in the door and immediately felt something. Oh, no. And I thought, okay, shit. Here we go. Here we go. In the apartment was fine. Apartment was totally fine. I thought, oh, well, this isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole mess. My, my first day in L.A. was a nightmare because my flight was delayed four right. hours. So I didn't have time to pay attention to anything. And by the time I got back, it was about three in the morning. And I just <laughs> passed right out. But um, over uh, the next, I think it was the next day, I was killing some time in the evening. I was watching, uh, I was watching Netflix, as you do on vacation. But, uh, I've traveled all this time and spent all this money to do what I can do at home. That's right. Well, I, I watched this movie on the plane. And it has a, a, a helicopter crash scene. Mm-hmm. And I was into, I want to see how it ended. But as soon as I got to that on the plane, it was not happening. Oh, I you know, you think they'd have someone at the airline who vetting that kind of thing. Oh, this was, no, I downloaded it on my iPad. Oh, okay. That was my own damn fault. Yeah. yeah. This isn't like Airport 77 at the, on the plane, you know. But, oh, man. So, Episodes of Emergency 911. Yeah, exactly. Rescue 911. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching the end of this thing. And all of a sudden, I felt something move from the far end of the room and I really noticed it when it got in front of me by the entrance to the kitchen because everything got really crystal clear mm-hmm. and then it was over and so I, I sent you some pictures Yeah, and you said uh, you know there's something going on uh, in the kitchen right and, and in that far corner of that room and you didn't tell me which picture you were sending me uh, I didn't even tell you why I was sending <laughs> no, you pictures but I said that right away Yeah, and I thought yep no I know now <laughs> I know now <laughs> I think that night I slept okay. And then I can't remember the exact timeline, but what happened uh, sort of next is um, I was I was laying in bed. Yeah. And I remember it wasn't later. It wasn't that late. I was just kind of looking at my phone. I think I was playing a video game or something. When all of a sudden I heard rustling in the corner of the room where I'd put my laundry. Or, and, and I actually, at first I assumed it was outside. You know how you're kind of yeah, dimly aware yeah, of noise? Yeah. So I thought, well, the noise in the parking lot outside. Of course, I'm on the third floor. Yeah. So it would have to be pretty loud rustling, but yeah. you just don't think about it, right? And then I realized, no, that I, I have this very particular kind of button-up shirts I like to wear, as you know. Yeah. And so the fabric makes a certain sound when it moves. And I realized, that's that's my shirts. Moving around. Yeah. On their own. Maybe. So I immediately get up, and the sound stops. So I thought maybe it was rats. You know, hoping against hope. Oh, there's comfort. <laughs> well, better that than the alternative. <laughs> but uh, no, I went over there, kicked the, you know, kicked the shirts, you know, because I, I keep my stuff in like a neat little pile uh, right. when it's dirty, but um, you know, you know, staying somewhere. But uh, yeah, there's nothing in there. And I thought, well, maybe, no. So that night, I literally fell asleep uh, with all the lights on, on my just on my back on the bed, and I had this dream, and in the dream, I was in a warehouse, and the warehouse was dark. Very high ceilings. Right. But when I eventually woke up, I realized that warehouse was the dimensions of my room. Right. And I was shining a flashlight around this dark room, trying to find something. And then in the far corner, I realized I my flashlight settled on the shape of a little girl. Oh, bad news bears. And I got a little, I tried to kind of squint my eyes and get a better look. And I just realized, no, I'm looking at the shape of a little girl. Mm, and nope. I was scared awake. 
And that's when I realized I'd fallen asleep on my bed with the lights on, on my back, and the corner that I'd looked in in my mind in the, in the dream with the flashlight was where my laundry was moving. Or it sounded like it was moving. That's not good. No. no. And, and I mean, it could just be a total coincidence. You know, dreams are dreams. That's fine. But the next day, I think, so I think it was Saturday night. So then Sunday, I met up with, I, I think I mentioned uh, Marianne and um, uh, Branda. Right. At the 101 Cafe. And afterwards, I went to go see a Dodgers game. And uh, as much as fun as it was, being in the same place as 50,000 other people is no. not my jam. No. I don't even like being in the same place as... 50 people. No, that's fair. You, the way you were looking at me, I thought you were going to say, I don't like being in the same place as you. Oh, I'm not that mean. Yes, you are. <laughs> well, You're, if I really look deep inside. Yeah, exactly. That's why we try not to do that. <laughs> Introspection is dangerous. That's right. You don't leave me alone with my thoughts. No. <laughs> but, um, so the next day after the game, I went downtown and I was cruising around, checking out, there's a, the last bookstore downtown. I like checking out the paranormal section. And uh, I was just walking around and I thought, geez, I, the Cecil is in downtown LA. Mm. And I've driven past it once in an Uber. Right. And for those of you who don't know, the Cecil Hotel is this enormous hotel in and downtown infamous. Los Angeles. And infamous. Yeah. I mean, Richard Ramirez uh, is said to have stayed there at one point. Um, of course, there have been, I believe, a, a handful of murders there. I know Elisa Lamb, she was a, a UBC student yeah. who disappeared for a time when she was staying down there and was found in the uh, water cistern on the roof. Not alive. No, 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 no. And, and some very weird footage before she died. Yeah. The, the, like I, heartbreakingly weird. Yeah. The, I, I won't get into it because no. I know a lot of shows have, but yeah. it's the circumstances of her death were uh, unusual, mm. to say the least. And so... I've always been curious about it. And the one time I drove past it, it was like the Eye of Sauron. It <laughs> right. just felt strong, but right. I didn't really get a good look at it. Right. So this time, well, it was literally around the corner from where I was. Wow. And I thought, well, I'm kind of curious. Sure. Because I I'm would be too. I'm stupid. Yeah. And we're stupid. Yeah. So I saw it, and man, it's monstrous. It, wow. I, it, I was not prepared for the scale of it. It is such a massive building. Is it the one that they based the American Horror Story? It is. Oh, the yeah. Dakota. Wasn't it called the Dakota in American Horror Story or something uh, like I can't that? remember. We didn't watch all that season. Uh, I know. I kind of, I came in and out of it. <laughs> Wasn't yeah. that compelling? But, oh man, I looked at this place and it just took my breath away. Yeah. And I just, cause I, my plan had been to sort of walk in front of it and look in the windows. No, I didn't want to get any closer to it than across the street. Wow. But I forced myself to walk past it on the opposite side of the street. And, uh... The air was so thick and heavy. Right. Just pushing through it. I, had, yeah. I was starting to have a bit of a panic attack. I finally got over to the other side. And when I went back home later that night, this really curious thing happened. You know how we talked about after being out of the 1218 studio, my sensitivity right. went down. It's almost like, because we, we thought maybe sort of marinating it all the time. Right. Makes you more likely to experience it. Yeah. So being out of it, it's not as much. This was like something just sandblasted off whatever protective layer I might have had. Wow. Because when I got back to the room, holy shit. You could I really feel stuff there? felt it. And I started seeing things move, black flashes moving in the Not corner good. of my vision. The last two nights, I had to I had to sleep with the lights on. Wow. Uh, because I felt like, actually the second night, the last night, I had to close the door to the bedroom because I felt like someone was staring at me from the hallway. I, and I just was waiting for someone to come this around the corner. This is why you always sleep with the bedroom door closed, you fool. <laughs> closet and bedroom doors remain closed at all times. And the, the, clo the closet was enormous. It was until a walk-in Until the sun comes closet. up. No, until oh, the sun man. comes up. It doesn't matter if you need something from the closet. No, no. It stays closed. But what if the goddamn thing opens? On its own? Yeah. You leave. Uh, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. You find an all-night bus. <laughs> and you stay on that bus I did, until you see the sun. I did find an all-night diner, several all-night diners. That, that would work, too. Lovely burger and fries at Norm's on La Cienega. <laughs> but no, there are certain rules around doors. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, no, it was hairy. So anyways, nothing dramatic, but it felt strange. Yeah. And and it got increasingly stranger. And so, I'm, I mean, I wish I'd had more time because it wasn't really until Monday that I started to relax. Right. But also, by that point, I wasn't sleeping through the night because I, you know, <laughs> couldn't take my eyes off the door. So. I get that. Yeah. I want to go to the Cecil now. 
Have fun. Send pictures. I don't know. I think I'm pretty good at barricading myself. So yeah. I, I'd love to go in and just sort of walk around the lobby and stuff. Well, we actually, uh, we won't get there just yet, but we do have two stories from people who either lived or worked in the Cecil. Cool. And uh, nothing about them makes me think, boy, I need to go here. Okay, well, maybe it'll change my mind. I'll let you know. All right, so let's get to some stories from haunted Los Angeles, which is a very haunted place. Although, weirdly, it's actually hard to find stories from there. I think it, part of it is so big. Right. It doesn't have a folklore. Ah, uh, maybe that's what it is. Right. Mario did yeah. Haunted East LA. Yeah. And so they've got a rich tradition of ghost stories in places like that. Yeah. But sort of at the macro level, it's hard to find online. 100%. I feel like it's more community-based. Yeah, exactly. Would you like to start? Sure. Fire away. Two from the Cecil. During what you might call a desperate period in my father's life, he had to stay in the Cecil Hotel for a while. It's called Stay on Main now, but my father says it will always be the Cecil to him. Whenever he tells the story, which isn't often anymore, I can practically feel the fear coming off of him. He said that one night during his stay, he woke in a cold sweat, frozen to the bed, unable to move, while something he couldn't see slowly but surely choked the life out of him. The feeling was unmistakably that of hands wrapped around his neck, and as his vision grew dimmer with every passing second, my father became certain he was going to die in that room. Then, suddenly, the feeling was gone, and the world returned. My father bolted out of the room and downstairs to the front desk. Despite what had just happened, he thought the clerk would laugh at him, or just look at him strangely, but in fact, the opposite happened. The man admitted that someone had been murdered in that room, and then switched my father to another room at no extra charge. 1A My friend David was a security guard at the Cecil during a time when it was under construction. His shift was from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Ugh, brutal. <laughs> but management apparently only wanted him to patrol the lobby and not the rest of the hotel. This was a while ago, and David may have said why, but I no longer remember what the reason was. Anyway, on one overnight shift, David got bored and decided to roam around a little beyond where he'd been specifically asked to stay, and it's a decision he's regretted ever since. On his walk, the hotel is massive, David came to what he thought was a social room, an area where guests could mingle and socialize. It was dark in the room, and in the far right-hand corner stood a tall, black figure. Startled, David pulled out his flashlight and hastily lit up the spot where the figure had stood, only to find whoever it was was gone. This shook him pretty badly, and as he walked the rest of the main floor, he felt like someone or something was watching him. Dave decided it was time to head back to his post and catch up on whatever TV show he'd been watching. An hour in, he started to doze off, only to be woken up to what sounded like a woman weeping. He called out to her, and the cries got louder. So he stood up and followed the sounds, which eventually took him right back to that same common room. This time, in the corner where previously a shadow of a man had stood, there was a woman with short hair weeping. David approached her slowly, asking if she was hurt, but there was no response, only more crying, her face buried in her hands. Then, once he was within arm's reach of the weeping woman, she walked through the nearest wall and vanished. David finished his shift and has never returned to the Cecil. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I mean, I wouldn't have taken the job in the first place, but <laughs> as I've learned in LA, everyone has like five jobs. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, and David, sorry, dude, but you weren't the most exemplary uh, security guard. Only stay in the lobby. David doesn't stay in the lobby. <laughs> Keep watch. David falls asleep. Yeah, that didn't even occur to me. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. No, you are fired, Dave. Yeah, but, Dave, don't come back. <laughs> yeah, I think the ghosts were taking care of business. That's right. They're like, you can't protect us. You're out. Look at this asshole. He's <laughs> asleep right now. Go. Dave, you got to work as part of the team. Synergy, Dave. Synergy. <laughs> I tell you, man, if I was a security guard in that place, again, you couldn't pay me to go beyond the lobby. I hear enough stories from the security guards who patrol Market Square at night. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because we're there, you know, for the Halloween walks, and it's almost always a new guard. Um, right. This last year, it's been the same guy for two years in a row. But um, I would say I've heard from four different security guards, and the interesting thing is, young, old, in between, they all tell you the same stories. Really? Yes. So I don't think I want to be a security guard anywhere. I almost became a security guard. Oh, Lord. I, when I was really hard up for work a few years ago, I took Brand the- in store, mall cop. That's right. <laughs> I got licensed and everything. And then thankfully another job came along and uh, saved me from that horrible fate. 
I oh what an awful awful job but uh, I couldn't do it you know walking around these places at three in the morning because I will see something well and plus the people who do I mean these these men and women they're far braver than I'll ever be If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. X-ray. I work for a physician in L.A. I have to be vague about where, just in case. And a couple months ago, while at work, I saw what I think was a ghost. My shifts are ridiculously long, often 15 hours or more, and so on my lunch break I try to catch a nap in one of the x-ray rooms because, with the lights off, they're totally dark with no places for natural light to get in. On the day in question, I was woken up from one of these naps by what appeared to be a sort of iridescent, silvery-greenish glow coming from one of the walls. I stared at the light until it started to take shape, eventually coalescing into the form of an elderly woman who then started to approach the examination table where I lay frozen. I couldn't move, talk, or tear my eyes away from this approaching figure. It was truly terrifying, but then the next thing I knew she was gone, there was a brief flash of light on the ceiling, and the room went dark. I knew right away it wasn't a dream, but rather that I'd been awake and something had happened to someone in my family. Somehow I knew that in my bones. Without even bothering to turn on the light, I reached for my phone and called my mother to tell her what had happened and to ask after my grandmother. She told me my grandmother was fine and that I should call her more, of course. So I agreed to do that once I stepped out to get lunch. When I made the call a few minutes later and told my grandmother the same story, she said she knew who I'd seen. Apparently my great aunt Lupe, who lived in Bethesda, Maryland, had passed away only the day before. It's hard to forget hearing your grandmother validate your ghost story while online at Starbucks. My grandmother's confirmation put me at ease and I didn't think much more about what I'd seen until seeing Lupe's obituary. We'd never been close and I hadn't seen her for years so we didn't know much about each other. But according to what I read, we had a lot in common. Lupe, it said, was a recovering alcoholic who'd been an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous for many years, even being a certified drug and alcohol counselor in order to better help those who struggled with addiction. I, myself, am a recovering addict, and at the time of Lupe's visit, I had been having cravings and started drinking again. Once I read the obituary, it all made sense. I guess energy never really does die. That's cool. That reminds me of that one story we had. I don't remember which episode it was, but uh, it was the guy who was power drinking beers at the house party. Yes. And something, I think it was like... you? Oh, yeah, that I remember now. (laughs) Yeah, and he kept, but he he sexually like snuck and hid and tried to drink beers outside. I remember that. And it was almost like something swatted them out of his hand or something. Yeah. And then on on the way home, he managed to just avoid a DUI. That's right. Yeah. That was so. It's kind of nice to think that someone's out there looking after our dumbasses <laughs> in the next life. No kidding. Dita and the doll. There was always something wrong with the South Central LA home that my aunt used to live in, though we never knew exactly why. My aunt's name was Dita, and she rented the house from her father in law, Juan, who'd lived there for a number of years, but before moving elsewhere and putting it up for rent. According to Dita, Juan had purchased the house cheaply after it had been severely damaged in a fire and restored it himself. The cause of the fire was unknown, but it's believed to have something to do with the fact that it had been a crack house beforehand. One of the addicts, a homeless man, was said to have died in the fire. The home itself was large, with two floors divided into several apartments. Dita lived in the front portion, which was divided into three rooms and a restroom, all of which she shared with her daughters, Lita and Rosie, along with several other family members. She would often talk about the house being haunted and all the people who had witnessed the various goings-on, so much so that I never liked going there. My experience happened when I was 12 and had to stay over with Lita and Rosie for a night. The two girls shared bunk beds, Lita on top, Rosie on the bottom, and I was sharing with Lita. Around 3 a.m., I woke to a dark room and lay there for several moments with my eyes closed. The wall was to my right, so when I finally decided to open my eyes, I looked left to where the window should have been. Instead, what I saw was a woman staring at me. She was standing right next to me, somehow visible from the waist up, with long black hair hanging down. I was scared senseless and felt as though the blood was draining from my body. I closed my eyes and tried to pray, but the words wouldn't come, even in my mind. 
I felt stuttery and jumbled. There was nothing I could do. Then I heard Rosie say my grandmother's name in her sleep, and I was somehow able to move. The next day I told my mother what I'd seen, and she then related to my Aunt Maria, who said her husband had stayed in the house before and had seen the woman as well. She appeared, standing next to him, as if she was watching him. To hear this from, or at least about my uncle, I knew it was serious, as he's what you'd call a macho man and not one to easily admit to being afraid. Ah, uh, like me. Yeah, that's exactly the image that popped up in my head when I read that. That was the correct response. <laughs> Maria also said that Rosie had also seen it herself. It happened late one night while she was on her way to the bathroom. The woman was standing in the corner of the room next to one of the girl's dolls. The doll was the kind that takes batteries and says phrases. Well, another night, the whole family woke up to hearing the doll saying its phrases from the box in which it had been stored. When they checked on it the next morning, they realized there were no batteries in it. They threw the doll out, only to find it again in my cousin's room a couple days later. So they threw it out a second time on the day of garbage pickup, and this time it stayed gone. Last but not least, one time a water pipe burst, and Juan had to dig into the walls of the basement to get at it. While digging, Juan found a wine bottle with something unusual inside, a doll covered in hair with needles poked in all over it. Shortly after this, Dita bought her own house, and I never heard anything more about the doll, the woman, or anything else. That is some Annabelle shit. If I throw yeah. a doll away and it comes back, no, I'm, I'm not, not going to wait till the trash day. No, I'm burning it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to take it to a dumpster on the other side of town, <laughs> maybe behind your new place, <laughs> set it on fire, yeah. and then salt the earth where the ashes are so that <laughs> nothing may grow there. I probably would throw in the barbecue. I'm too lazy to travel that far. <laughs> the world's laziest exorcist. Yeah. Just go. Move on. <laughs> the Tahunga Imp. We found this online, as we do all the stories, but I loved how this person had written it so much. We we didn't change much. Cool. I uh, just sort of condensed it a little bit and took out a, a lot of F-bombs. I mean, really? A lot. This Which for you to notice is Right? Exceptional. Yeah, exactly. I was telling you something. Mm -hmm. The Tahunga Imp. For the doubters, this absolutely happened exactly as recorded. I would polygraph the story. I would affidavit the story. It all happened in early 2014 in Tahunga, California, a small town on the edge of the Angeles National Forest. It marked the beginning of a series of strange events that occurred while I stayed in the area, which is a wonderful but dark little town whose longtime residents call its unusual vibe The Veil and claim it helps them keep property developers away. I ride horses and have a dressage horse who needs a lot of attention. At the time, I was keeping him in a wonderful little barn in the Angeles National Forest near my apartment in town. For context, I'm a five foot nine athletic beef castle of a girl. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. I ride rank horses, can take a punch, and have generally sauntered through life feeling stupidly unafraid of most things and greatly overestimating my own abilities. Like the quintessential American dumbass, I'm one of those people who is sure they would have won Fear Factor like no problem. I was often the last person to leave the barn late at night and would turn all the lights off, making the place pitch black. Darkness has never bothered me, and I sometimes hiked alone at night on the fire roads. For several months, this awful bitch of a horse trainer kept this beautiful horse named Irish penned up in a miserable box stall at the back of the property, in constant pain due to a serious problem called laminitis. He broke my heart, and I spent about an hour every night with him holding his massive head and assuring him things would be better soon. He was truly a sublimely wise and kind being. It was as if he wanted to comfort me, because I was so sad for him. One night I came out to care for my own horse and Irish's stall was empty. He had finally been put to sleep and I was so relieved. A weight lifted from my shoulders and I imagined him in the next world restored to youth and in tall grass. I worked my horse, groomed, fed, and put him to bed. As usual, I was the last person there about 9.30pm and I walked down the little road that ran between the horse corrals to turn off all the perimeter lights. The farm became impenetrably black, which wasn't unusual, except on this night. Every fiber of my being was alive with adrenaline. Something was there with me. Fuck. I froze, listening. The horses made their usual sounds, shuffling in their wood chip bedding, obscuring any sounds this thing could be making. I slowly reached inside my sports bra for the thin switchblade I keep there. Something was there, behind me, in the back area by Irish's old stall. A mountain lion? I dismissed the thought as the horses would be flipping out at the smell. 
Then I thought it must be a meth head from the river wash hiding out, planning to attack me once the lights go down, but no, it didn't feel like that either. Still, I felt like I had to say something, so I said, What's up, motherfucker? You want to bang heads with me, bitch? You want to get perforated tonight? Let's go. I like this lady. <laughs> no answer. I found myself thinking, somehow, that it wasn't human. The panic came then, and I tried to move down the little road as quietly as possible, sticking tight to the row of sheds, staying off the road itself. I had a huge new F-150 at that time, and as I got closer, I got my keys out, hit the remote that lit up all the lights, and just ran for it. Really ran like something was after me and this could be life or death. I got to the truck, locked myself in, and fishtailed out of the lot as fast as I could, hitting the road at a good clip. For some reason, I didn't want to drive home, so I turned the radio on and drove around the neighborhood, trying to catch my breath and convince myself I'm just some dumb girl who's probably about to go on her period and let her imagination run away with her. It didn't really work. Finally, when I couldn't think of any more reason to avoid going home, I headed back and went upstairs to crash with my sweet old rescue cat, Bobby. At some point in the middle of the night, Bobby woke up and started growling this really boss bitch growl, focusing on the door of the bedroom. I went back to sleep and had a series of terrible dreams that kept waking me up, but the only one I remember was that a little troll-like spirit had moved into the apartment with us. He was about three feet tall and was invisible, but had an outline kind of like the predator so you could perceive his form. He had short, stubby little legs, hobbit-style big feet. He was portly and had big, ugly, pointy ears that went past the top of his bald head. His arms were skinny and he had claw-like hands. That was his shape and he was a nasty little spirit. The next morning on the drive into the office, I called for my roommate. Not wanting to prompt her, I simply asked, Hey girl, how'd you sleep? And she said, I had the worst dreams, dude. It was like this little midget guy moved into our apartment, sort of like a ghost or something, and we couldn't get rid of him. It was awful. I nearly rear-ended the car in front of me when she said that. I told her everything that had happened the night before, and she was pretty stunned. Afterward, I contacted a friend who knows more about these things, and he suggested we sage the apartment and practice some white light thing to do with building a protective layer around you. That seemed to do the trick, and afterwards, both we and our respective cats went back to sleeping as normal. What's really interesting about that, there's, well, there's a couple things. One, the Angeles National Forest. That place is, I'm pretty sure, in the Missing 411 books. Sure it is. Yeah. Makes sense, yeah. The other thing is, that's not the first time I've heard of that, because mm. uh, Shannon on ITF, she had a guest, uh, it was JP, the demonologist. When he was a little kid, he saw a little squat de demon type thing with sort of a football-shaped head. And then when I was talking to a bartender in LA, I actually pulled the story uh, of sleep paralysis with a creature that was again very very similar oh wow yeah he was uh he grew up in el centro california which is sort of outside san diego and he said that he him and his brother slept in the same room in in single beds on either side of the room and one night their door was closed as usual and you could see underneath the door the light from the bathroom which was just outside the room so that was always on but he said in the middle of the night he woke up when something pushed open his door and it was this little Yoda-looking thing in a hood. The figure had barely visible red eyes, and it was apparently moving slightly above the ground. This guy said after he spotted it, he, he couldn't move, but he felt a pressure on the bed. Not on him, but on the bed. And the thing pointed at him. Yeah. That's not good news. And then sort of, uh, I guess, glided back out the door, and the door closed almost all the way. And that's what I find really interesting is that he woke up after that, he could move and the door was still partially open and wow. it had been closed. Wow. So I mean, that's physical proof something happened. Yeah. And then I guess he was listening to coast to coast radio a couple of years later, many years later, and he heard a woman calling in with a story of seeing something very similar, about the same right, size. Right. So this really seems to be a thing. Interesting. Like gremlins or something. Wow. The rolling phantom of Sunland. And I just wanted to say thanks to Janet, who actually was responsible for putting us onto Sunland. Oh. Sunland is kind of right at the far end of... Oh, uh, Sunland. Is I, that I, wrong? I don't know. One of the two. And what's that big Tahunga Canyon? Yes. How do I really say it? That's right. Tahunga. Really? Yeah. Oh. But before we get going, Sorry. yeah. No, Janet, uh, she's, she mentioned the next time I'm in L.A., and I've got a car, I should go check out Sunland. She said it has a really unusual vibe. Oh, cool. And um, so we, we had a quick look around. We, there's there's a sort of a local story about a haunted road near the dam. Right. But nothing we could really use for the show. Right. Uh, but then we happened to find this one. So okay. thank you, Janet, for, for putting us onto that. The Rolling Phantom of Sunland. 
In August of 2006, I gave my friend a lift to his home on Big Tahunga Canyon Road on the edge of Angeles National Forest in Sunland, California. It was late, around 10 p.m., but my friend needed to get some things from his place, so we parked my Jeep in a small space on the side of the highway and decided I would wait while he went inside. The direction I was parked allowed me to see traffic coming down and out of the forest, but the road wasn't busy. Directly in front of me was a sharp bend in the highway, which went around the mountainside, and given how dark it was, I could clearly see any headlights approaching from in front or behind me. That highway is narrow, with sharp curves and no street lamps of any kind, all of which makes it notoriously treacherous, even during daylight hours. At nighttime, there's no way you could drive it without headlights, at least not while staying alive, which made the next part hard to comprehend. I began to see, to my utter astonishment, the shape of a car, but lacking any kind of illumination coming around the sharp bend in front of me. My first thought was this person must be having trouble with their lights and be desperate to get out of the forest. But when the vehicle pulled up parallel to my car, I could see there was no one in it. It looked like an old and grayish-colored four-door sedan-type vehicle. It was moving slowly and without any sounds of a motor or wheels. It was almost see-through. I just kept staring at it in amazement until it disappeared into the darkness of the highway. My friend returned a few minutes later. And I quickly told him what I'd just seen and that I was going to drive as fast as I could to see if I could catch up to it. I spun the car around and raced down the road, which had no exits or turnoffs for the rest of the way out of the canyon. Given how slow the phantom car had been going, I figured I had a pretty good chance. We never did see it anywhere, or any other car like it. And after this happened, I never wanted to stay the night up in that forest again. Now, this is my stupidity taking place here, but I, I kind of want to... Stay the night in that forest now. Oh, God, Brandon, what's wrong with you? I know, I know. And I know I have this sort of, you know, fly against forests in general because the forest will kill you. Yeah, so why would you want to go and spend the night in one that's particularly <sighs> creepy? I don't what's know. wrong with you? Just something about it kind of calls to me. <sighs> yeah, it's called suicidal tendencies. You ah, need to get that fixed. That's what that is. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I don't even like staying in tents in non-haunted places. Well, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think if it actually came to it, I wouldn't do it because, you know, tents can kiss my ass and so can camping. <laughs> when we had the meet and greet at Hollywood and Western, um, Adam and Arthur were, were talking about how they, uh, they listen to us while they're camping. And I said, I'm flattered you listen to us while you're camping, but why the hell are you camping in the first place? <laughs> this, is, this is just a mistake. <laughs> were they able to defend it? Well, they had things like, it's peaceful and it makes us happy, but mm. boo, nerds, it, I don't I don't buy that. Stay home, turn yep. the lights out. Right? Yeah. Just get one of those white noise generators like I have. You're I right. have one of those. There you go, you're in the forest. Yeah. You're on the ocean. It's fine. Flip, flip the breaker on your main fuse box, boom, you're camping. Problem solved. Problem solved. No hot water, no lights, <laughs> no Wi-Fi or Netflix. It's perfect. Camping in the Middle Ages, I'm not sure. <laughs> the Green Whirlwind. This experience took place in the late 1980s, while I was working as a secretary at a business firm in Los Angeles, California. I had been working at that location for a while, and had become comfortable with my daily work routine, tedious and dull though it may have been. The company was professional, my co-workers older than me, and quite conservative. I mostly worked the front reception area, often by myself, especially in the late afternoon when there was very little going on. One afternoon before closing up the office, I was sitting at my desk working on some filing when something caught my attention. The front doors of the office, which were heavy glass and steel, began to rattle. I didn't really give it that much thought, but decided that since it was so close to closing time, it was worth securing the doors to make sure no one came in and decided to keep me there longer. As I crossed the room to walk up, suddenly one of the glass doors blew open. Something came into the foyer through the opening, and then the door shut again of its own accord. The something that blew in is difficult to accurately describe, but I'll do my best. It was a swirling green mini tornado measuring approximately three feet tall. It was dense, still slightly transparent, and it just stayed there, rotating constantly. Once the tornado arrived, the air in the room changed perceptibly. It felt prickly and electric. The tornado began slowly moving towards me before disappearing completely, the entire incident lasting maybe 20 seconds. Once I got over the shock of seeing that thing, I ran over to lock both the front doors. Was this my imagination playing tricks on me? I said nothing to any of my co-workers about this incident because I didn't want to face any ridicule or be dismissed from my job. The next day before heading off to work, I decided to have one last cup of coffee with my husband. After we settled on the sofa in our living room, I recall scrolling through TV channels and hearing a sudden loud popping noise. 
Then, from beside the entertainment center, the green mini-tornado reappeared. I couldn't believe I was seeing this thing in my own home now, and in the presence of my husband, who could also see it. I remember jumping up from the sofa and spilling coffee all over my lap, while my husband had a look of total disbelief on his face. Again, within seconds, it disappeared into thin air. Thankfully, that was the last time I saw the mini-tornado anywhere. Yikes. Right? What the hell is that about? Yeah, no... See, stuff like that can, it, it sort of makes me think, maybe there is a God because he just likes messing with us. <laughs> hey, she's bored at work. Here's a tornado. You figure it out. Figure it out. That kind of reminds me of a story from Revelstoke. I don't know if it's in my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere fine books oh, are sold. God. <laughs> but um, it was, people saw what they thought was a helicopter. Right. But then they realized it wasn't disturbing any of the trees around it, and it had sort of a green fog. Hmm. Yeah, they, they submitted the account anonymously, and uh, I tried to, I followed up with them, it was sort of via email exchange. They would not talk to me in person. Wow. Very cagey. Wow. So they were, whatever it was, they were really shaken by it. Wow. Our next story is called The Smiling Woman. Sometime in the summer of 2011, I was on my way to my girlfriend's house for some late night fun. <gasps> that sounds like a booty call. I was on my bike, riding down a hill, only a minute or two away from my house in Hawthorne, when I saw a young woman dressed all in black making her way up the same hill on the opposite side of the road. In my head, I wondered why she was out alone at this time of the night, but ultimately figured it was none of my business. As I rode closer, I felt like the young woman was staring at me, so I took another look, and she had changed. The lovely young woman I'd seen from a distance had become an old woman, with an unnaturally wide, bright white smile that stretched from ear to ear. Never in my life have I seen such a smile outside of some old movie my dad watched once. The old woman tracked me the whole time I rode past her, and that awful grin never leaving her face. The sight of it caused a lump to form in my stomach, and I pedaled as fast as I could. But once I had passed her, the chain on my bike just locked, and I almost lost control going down the hill. Had I not been able to use the shoes of my soles to stop myself, I would have been seriously injured. I picked up my bike. And started running as fast as I could. You know what? Kudos to him for picking up his bike. I would have been like, bike, you're dead weight. <laughs> you're dead to me. You're done. I'll get another bike. I'll never forget you. Yeah, bye. Yeah. This never happened again. But even so, the image of that woman's face has never left my mind. When I tell people this story in person, they always wave it away, say that it was obviously just someone with an unusual face, and then I overreacted. But deep down, I know that's not it. She didn't have sharp teeth or anything, but something about her felt unnatural and filled me with a feeling of certainty that something bad was going to happen. And you know what? I get that because it's not the things we see that look particularly like horror movies. Right. It's the normal, quote unquote, things we see that send shivers through us because it's not what we're seeing. Right. It's what we're sensing. Well, it reminds me a long time ago, uh, Cherie, one of our listeners, she mm -hmm. sent in that story about the really good looking guy. Yeah, in the, the restaurant. Yeah. I remember that. And, and she thought, you're not getting me or my baby. Yeah, there's just something. About, he was yes. gorgeous. But there yes. was something about her that, that really. Was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of. I get it. I get it. Huh. Uh, the, the the old movie his father watched, I kind of wonder if it was The Man Who Laughs. Oh. Have you ever see, heard of that one? It's a. First from like 1928, so I'm not surprised. Okay. But I'm going to show you here because the, the the image is, I think. Oh, Lordy. Yeah. That almost looks like the old makeup from uh, when Cesar Romero was the Joker. And I think it may have actually been based Very on that. Very similar. Yeah. That's interesting. The Haunting in Highland Park. My name is Chris and I'm a native Angelino. I was born in the city and have lived here all my life. Almost everywhere I've lived, something paranormal has happened, and I'd like to share a couple of those stories with you. First, some background. The weirdness started when I was seven, and we lived in an apartment building in downtown, which was a lot more rough back then, we being my parents, brother, and myself. Exactly what happened is hazy to me all these years later, but I remember a huge banging sound in the kitchen that startled all four of us, and waking up one night to see our bedroom door closing on its own. It sounds very general, but I know for a fact that our parents are having experiences of their own too because we eventually moved to a different apartment in that building and everything went back to normal. A couple years later, we were living in a house in Highland Park where my brother and I were again sharing a room, sleeping in twin beds a few feet apart from each other. My brother used to have a hard time getting to sleep, so sometimes my mother would come and rub his back. One night, she did this. I was laying there trying to sleep when in the darkness under my brother's bed, I saw a white face. Its eyes bored into me, 
and all I could do was stare back. I felt frozen, as if something bad was going to happen if I told my mother or brother what was happening. Little by little, that pale white face moved back slowly out of sight, and eventually, somehow, I fell asleep. In the morning, I told everyone what I saw, and that was the only encounter we had in that house. Two years later, my baby sister came along, and we moved into another house in Highland Park that was nicer in almost every way. Almost. In the new house, I finally had a room all to myself, which was exciting until the night I woke up around 1am to what sounded like scratches on the wall. At the time, I knew it could possibly have been rats, so I wasn't overly concerned. You know, rats concerned, but not ghosts concerned. There's an important distinction, this. <laughs> but then, from the dark in front of me came what sounded like a young girl screaming. I bolted out of that room faster than any other human in history has moved, and went straight to my mother, who'd heard the scream as well. This is when I started sleeping in the living room. On another occasion, my mom was sleeping in the living room too, and we were both woken up by the sound of footsteps in the kitchen, followed by the flushing of the toilet. We jumped up to see who it was, and nobody was there. I finally saw something several weeks later, again around three in the morning. By this time, I was sleeping in the living room full time, and so I woke up to see a little girl of maybe ten years old standing across the room from me. I froze, and just like the white face, she slowly stepped backwards until the darkness engulfed her. The final thing was a shadow and the first time I saw something in broad daylight. I was watching TV, and to my left was a window that looked out on the porch. For some reason, I decided to look over there, and as I did, a tall, dark figure briefly blocked out the light as it passed. Quickly, I jumped to my feet and looked outside, but there was no one there. When I approached my mother about it later that day, she said she had seen exactly the same thing. Not only that, but so had my brother. Hmm. It happened again another day, this time when I was hanging out on the porch with a friend. Out of nowhere, he flew into a panic, and when I asked him what was wrong, he told me he had seen a tall black figure pass by. Over time, I got used to these things, but I'm no closer to understanding what any of them mean. Hey, that's either. Yeah, well, <laughs> we got something in common with you, buddy. I got good news and bad news. The good news is you're not alone. The bad news, we cannot help you. No, no. Antelope Valley High. When I was in middle school, my family lived in a townhouse apartment in Echo Park, where previously a whole family had been murdered. I know, I know, why would we live there and all that. Well, the rent was, the rent was cheap for L.A., and once you get over the idea of living in a murder house, it's actually kind of novel, and the other kids are always at least a little scared of you. I like that. Besides, for the longest time, none of us ever experienced anything odd, so there was nothing to worry about. Of course, that didn't last. One day, I was sitting with my sister in our room. Dad had gone to pick up Mum from work, and outside the sun was setting. I wanted to read, but my dad was weird and didn't like us having lights on in our bedroom while he was out. So I brought my book into the bathroom. While I was in there, someone, my sister I assumed, started knocking on the door, and after a while I shouted at her to stop. It continued for five more minutes, so I whipped open the door and stormed back into the room to give her hell. My sister not only denied it, she looked completely clueless in a way I knew she wasn't smart enough to fake. <laughs> That's such a sibling line. <laughs> she didn't have to deny it for long because as we were arguing, both of us were somehow compelled to look out of the door towards the stairs where we saw a ghostly figure descending. Hmm, so a ghostly figure that needed the toilet, I guess. Years later, we moved to the house we currently live in, in Lancaster, California. While returning from the bathroom around 4 a.m., I'd just gotten back to my room when I was startled by what I thought was my dad standing there. But it wasn't him. Instead, it was a dark shape standing next to my window, and it faded shortly after I acknowledged it. Back then, I was a student at Antelope Valley High, which sits right next to the Lancaster Cemetery. The kids at school all talked about how it was haunted, but very few of them had specific stories. Mostly, it was just talk. In my sophomore year of high school, I went to the bathroom in the middle of biology. The bathroom that is closest to the cemetery. Everyone says they hate that bathroom because it's haunted. But again, no one can really point to any one thing. Anyway, I went in and was doing my business when I heard someone else come in and go into the stall on my left. Which is a little weird because it doesn't lock. Anyway, I could see the girl's feet so I knew someone had to be in there. I finished what I was doing and left the stall. I walked past the one on my left and through the partially open door saw the girl in there. She looked like she was from the past, I don't know when, in long, drapey school clothes. As I was washing my hands, the bathroom door opened and closed on its own, and when I checked, the girl in the stall was gone. 
I later found out that Antelope Valley High had had a huge fire that destroyed the second floor, and that was why it had been remodeled. It's even on the Wikipedia page. But recently, staff have started to tell a different story, one that doesn't include a fire. And the information on the wiki has been edited to reflect that. Was the girl I saw a former student who died in that fire? Or was she connected to the Lancaster graveyard? Maybe both? I guess I'll never know. Huh. So I actually tried to verify that right. um, about Antelope Valley High to see if there had been a fire. And? Yeah, I couldn't find anything, but then I didn't look really hard. I just right. kind of had a cursory look. Right. I know one of our listeners uh, spends some time in the Antelope Valley, and I won't say which, but you know who you are. If you know if there's any truth to that, I'd love to know. Hmm, cool. But, um, man, a haunted high school. So if you don't have enough problems in high school. Right. Actually, I, I've heard that um, Vic High here is haunted. I could see that. That big old brick one in the I've middle of the field. I've never been in there, but every time I go past it. Oh, no, I've never been in there, but yeah. I know for a fact every time I'm near it, I have to go look at it. So that's usually an indication yeah, something's yeah, up. Yeah. You're like a fly drawn to rotting meat. You just <laughs> love the whole possibility that something sinister is happening. That's true. I'm kind of morbid that way. You are. Yeah. I'm that's handsome, okay. though, so it all balances. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yet again, that is the correct response. Oh, I'm batting a thousand to me. <laughs> you look like you're falling asleep is what yeah. it looks like. I'm, 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 I'm here. All right, so we have one more story for tonight. All right. A green heart. My story will make more sense if you know a little about me. The thing that is most germane to my story is what happened to me in 2006 or seven, namely that I snapped. Now, I don't mean in the violent sense, but rather the ideological sense. Something inside me decided it could no longer stand by and watch neighborhood gentrification happen. Not only were the poor being slowly but surely shuttled out of their homes, but beautiful pristine woodland was being leveled to make way for awful, ticky-tacky Lego bricks that served only as ostentatious showcases for excessive personal wealth. I became unable to stomach the idea of the destruction of our natural heritage, or any heritage at all. It made me sick. I became a quiet activist. While I've never been to a protest and I don't chain myself to trees, I study the local laws of any given location, then go for the jugular. It's a hard slog, and sometimes I feel stretched to the point of breaking, but it works. In 2013, my husband and I journeyed to America from Australia. We went specifically to Los Angeles to visit some of his friends. I had known these friends socially for some years, and while my husband has stayed in their home many times, this would be my first visit. We arrived at their place late in the afternoon after spending the morning with some other friends. By the time we arrived, a barbecue party was in full swing with maybe ten guests. We spent the rest of the day and evening in their backyard. Their house is of a modern design, open plan, long floor-to-ceiling windows. To be honest, the house itself is not to my taste at all, but it's got a great atmosphere. The garden is well established, and very much to my taste. Rock gardens with plants weaving around, creepers on the fences, a couple large trees out the back, and a couple in the front garden as well. Spending all that time out there was quite lovely. After a full-on day at about 11 o'clock, I started feeling pretty tired, so I decided to prepare for bed. I said goodnight to everyone and went inside. Once in our bedroom, I realized the bed hadn't been made, and as I didn't know where the linen was, decided to kick off my shoes and have a nap on the couch. When I woke up, the lights were off, and all was silent. One of their cats was sleeping on my feet, and someone had put a throw blanket on me. I have no idea what the time was, but it was obvious all the visitors had left and everyone had gone to bed. The couch faces the front window, through which is a balcony. From there, you can see the front garden. The room we were staying in was next to the couch, and the door to that room was half open. As I sat up, I could tell my husband was asleep in there. I was tempted to join him straight away, but it, it looked so peaceful out on the balcony, I decided to step out and take it in before going to bed. Right in front of the balcony, to the left of me, was a big jacaranda tree. Their front yard has a high fence with some creeper climbing up it. I was raised to call this creeper Happy Wanderer, but apparently it's called Morning Glory. Whatever you call it, I love this creeper, so my attention was soon drawn to the morning glory on the fence. Next to the morning glory was a tall gum tree, and I found myself looking from that to the other trees, plants, and soil and thinking, this garden could be home in Australia. As I was thinking this, something happened that I can't really articulate very well. The big jacaranda next to the balcony, just in front of me to my left, sort of bent one or two of its branches down towards me, so it was touching the backs of my shoulders. In this moment, I felt transfixed, but not afraid, like I could cry, but in a nice way. I looked up to the rest of the tree and half-whispered, Hi. What else could I do? I can't say how long this lasted, maybe 20 seconds, maybe longer. Then the branch or branches returned to their normal resting position steadily, just as they'd lowered. 
I wasn't scared. Instead, I felt calm, like I'd received some kind of blessing. I didn't know where things stood paranormal-wise with this family, so I didn't bring it up, but I told my husband the next chance I got, which was the following evening. He didn't have an explanation either, and like me, had never heard of it happening before. I like to think trees have some as-yet-unknown ability to manipulate their limbs in our time. That is to say, I believe trees experience time differently to us. They argue with each other, form friendships with each other and animals. These individual histories can be read in their shape, the way they react to surroundings, just as our histories can be read in our own behavior. I know some people believe trees have humanoid spirits, but I think this is just human ego. However, I do believe trees can be a home for other entities, just as they are home to animals, perhaps even a doorway to another realm. But as for their individual identity, I believe they are their own entity. They're trees. And they're magnificent just the way they are. That's nice. pretty cool. I've it's never cool. heard that before. No, I haven't either. Groot macking on your wife? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. And you know what? When I think of Los Angeles, I do not think of the natural greenery. It's just not something that I think about. No. I mean, I get why it would look at home in Australia, because it's another place with no water. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it does make a lot of sense. And I really, really like that. Like, I love eucalyptus trees. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my gosh. And the pepper tree. Oh, really? Is that a... It's where the... It's covered in peppercorns. Oh, okay. So someone said, oh, yeah, that's a really beautiful pepper tree. And I'm like, wait, what? And I walk up and I, I do this and I smell and it's pepper. No way. And they have all the little peppercorn balls on it. I guess it makes sense. I just never think about where this stuff comes from. <laughs> I don't know plants. See, I'm fascinated by that. I think that's amazing. Um, cinnamon. Where does cinnamon come from? The grocery store. <laughs> the bark of a tree. My, my cupboard. <laughs> the bark of a tree. Really? Yes. I had no idea chocolate the fridge oh never mind <laughs> i'm i'm roughly familiar with the story of chocolate okay good yeah i yeah, know i'm just i'm good. just messing with you cloves there. fridge <laughs> no i i know so little about the stuff i know wow. like you know mint and uh what's that crap i helped you move the other day rosemary rosemary that's it yeah yeah that stuff i'm familiar with like little herb gardeny stuff yeah but, but not the big no stuff no no buy from like the grocery store in powdered form. That's it. No, I just never think about it. It's really neat. There's a lot of really cool stuff. And when you start seeing this stuff in its natural form, it's like, oh, wow. Like the, the pepper tree, I've never seen that before. And I was like, this is amazing. That would be. Actually, I remember seeing the, the things that produce pine nuts when oh, I was in yeah. the desert. Pinones, yeah. I think he was, they called, called them. And uh, that was really cool. Again, They're expensive. Just, are they? Pine nuts are crazy expensive. They make, is it pesto, pesto. right? Pesto. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or you can like brown them up and throw them in with some other dish and they're so good. I don't know that I've ever tried them. I, you know what? I must have at some point. I don't want you to because you're probably allergic to them. Yeah, probably. Does <laughs> it bring like, joy to your here, life? Brandon, I brought you some pie. Oh, fuck. Well, I guess the I story guy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I guess that's going to do it. That's all our stories for Haunted mm. Los Angeles. Probably be the last Los Angeles episode we do for a while. Maybe take a year off and uh, let the stories build up for a while. Unless we happen to find some really great stories from there. A secret cachet. You never know. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with our patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back. Thanks to our wonderful staff, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their mm -hmm. help putting this episode together. It's so weird to say that, our staff. Because we used to say our researchers and then plus Sarah, it's like, well, no, they're all just, they're all just doing their thing. That's and right. we would be hooped without them. Totally. <laughs> so thanks to those guys and lady. <laughs> I can't navigate these complex waters. Oh my these God. These people? Folks. Folks. There we go. Can't go wrong with folks. Thanks, folks. <laughs> So I guess first up, we'll do our patron shoutouts. Mm -hmm. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our newest patrons. They are James Scott Zapansky, Alice Hausman, David Grinstead, Travis Mills, Jennifer Donner, Julielle, Mike Beatty, James Kosick. That sounds, that's what I would have thought. James Kosick? <laughs> Question mark. James Kosick. Noel Jim. Carter Burks. Melissa. Ella Noon. And Ella was uh, the listener who I hung out with in L.A. Very cool. Yeah, so she has joined up. So 
of thank you so much everyone we can't tell you how much we appreciate 100 percent. It. it's just the greatest thing yeah. ever yeah and um yeah as i said when i was i'm back working now but when i wasn't you guys helped me pay my rent and i just can't tell you if you told me that was going to be possible when we started this patreon i would have slapped you in the fa- i practically did when you said to start the patreon <laughs> yeah you did yeah thank you for supporting us and letting us uh kind of live this dream because it's pretty wild it's pretty crazy mm-hmm. if you'd like to join our ranks head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys we have tiers at the 5 10 20 and 50 dollar levels you can get everything from exclusive patron-only stickers to access to our live shows, our monthly live shows, which we just did earlier tonight before we came here. You also get Ian's smash hit Christian country album, Aware of Wonder. <laughs> you get There are art cards of my night photography. There's uh, some ring exclusive ringtones, all kinds of stuff that can be yours if you just head on over to patreon.com slash guys. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. Again, we want to thank everyone who writes into us. We read every message we get. We may not respond personally to everyone now at this point, just because it is enormously time consuming, but we love the messages and we are, of course, saving up for our listener, our next listener stories episode. Absolutely. So please send us your stories. We'd love to hear them and we will, we'll read them on air when we can. Yeah. And we will always name check you on the show. And to that end, we'd like to thank for writing in this time, Raven, Shannon, Rebecca, Darby, Neil, Madison, Jackie, Victoria, Gustavo, Anna, Megan, Ravi, Heather, Mel, Carolyn, Heather, Sam, Ryan, Leslie, Sarah, Jenna, Selena, Danny, Caitlin, Ty, Sarah, Kathleen, Nicole. Thank you so much, guys. Again, we, it just means the world to us that you that you want to reach out and tell us your stories and share with us. And, and again, we're going to get back to as many of you as we can, but rest assured that we've read everything you sent. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just means a ton to us. Actually, I was contacted on Instagram recently by someone who said that uh, they were going through a period of anxiety and we helped, listening to our show, help them relax. Nice. And that was pretty cool. Nice. Uh, and also, funny enough, I recently helped you move. Mm-hmm. And I posted a... a Instagram video of me bitching about this and this uh, this person commented and I, I'm sorry I can't remember your name uh, but she's a photographer who's just followed me on uh, on Instagram now but uh, she said that she got our voices mixed up she oh. thought my voice came from you and your voice came from me oh that's funny and the, just the idea of our voices swapping has given me night sweats and I may never sleep again <laughs> you, you'd be lucky to have this voice of golden tone <laughs> oh Whatever, stay, mouth breather. Stay down, fried chicken. Whatever. If you want to get a hold of us, send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we're also at Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys. We're on Instagram at theghoststoryguys. And we're on Twitter at ghoststoryguys. So we're pretty much everywhere. We if are. If you want to find us, we yeah, are. We're like Walmart. <laughs> That's right. But <laughs> with no money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we don't impress anyone yet. Yeah, yeah. We're working on it. We're working on it. You got to build up to these things. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'd like to thank our musical guest, Danny O and the Astrotones. The song was It Came From Planet Astrotone. That's from their brand new album, Introducing Danny O and the Astrotones. You can find more from them at planetastrotone.bandcamp.com or on all the major streaming platforms. The band is on tour through the summer and fall, uh, all of in the UK. They're actually a London band. And you can find full dates on their website at planetastrotone.com. But I'd like to read out a couple dates just so you know in the, uh, in the coming days. If you are nearby, maybe you can check them out. They're playing on July 10th at the Admiral Bar in Glasgow, July 11th at the Temple of Boom in Leeds, on the 12th at the Station in Cannock, the 13th at the Wilbraham Club in Preston, and the 19th at Nambuca in London. Oh, pardon me, and the 20th at the Rifle Club in Portsmouth. Again, if you want to hear more, head on over to planetastrotone.com, follow the links, and uh, if you do head to one of their shows, make sure to get a picture for us, and we'll post it up on our various social media feeds. Mm-hmm. Again, that was Danny O and the Astrotones with a song, It Came from Planet Astrotone. So nothing else coming up in the summer. Ian's doing ghost walks. Mm-hmm. If you end up in Victoria and you want to do a ghost walk, uh, just send us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com, and we'll try and arrange a night where we can uh, 
we can do that. Or and can... I don't do them that often anymore. People should know that. So I don't want you to be disappointed and be like, I'm coming in on a Tuesday. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. I, I guess we should make it clear because there's some confusion sometimes. Yeah. Ian does Ian does not uh, personally, he, he doesn't own the company that does Ghostwalks. No, Ghost Ian's, no. Ian's an employee for the company that does yes, Ghostwalks. no. So um, if you do, but he does do the, them some nights. So yeah. we can possibly make that happen. And if you're visiting Victoria, you just want to hang out and get coffee. We might be able to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Send us an email and we'll do what we can. But we always like to say we're like vampires. You have to invite us. That's right. We're never going to ask. So if you want to do it, you got to let us know. Yeah. And again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is probably the best place to do that. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of Ghost Walks, the company that hosts them, Ghostly Walks, has launched their own limited series of podcasts about haunting in Canada. If you want to check that out, head on over to ghoststoriesofcanada.podbean.com and you can find, I believe it's 13 episodes. Yeah. Ultimately, that will be there. And it'll tell you a little bit more about haunting in this wonderful country of ours. Nothing to do with me, just so we're clear. You're not going to go over there and hear either no, of us. No, no, no. This is, yeah. The, it's completely separate from us. We just said we'd give them a yeah, cause shout out on the Zach, show. Yeah, because who will be doing that podcast is one of our longtime listeners. So Yes, absolutely. It's pretty awesome. I guess that's going to do it. Yeah, I think we're done. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go. idea of the story because i can't pronounce that oh great i had a hard enough time with juan <laughs> such a man of the world i am intercontinental ian i've had no complaints never tell me that again the tahung <laughs> are we done <laughs> welcome to beef castle may i take your order <laughs> nope none of that works i was um i don't know much about sex but i know that none of that made sense <laughs> well then you're doing it wrong i'm not saying that way okay fuck you <laughs> Even our podcast. Oh no no no! <laughs> You're is, like, I don't even know. Fuck this! Do no, this, this is literally yeah. what I live for. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to eleven grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net-carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.